0: We don't sing that song as often as we as we used to, but it really is a prayer, and I hope that as you sing it, that you that you sing it with that mindset that, that you would truly see Christ this morning. And, and that is my prayer as well. The title of the message this morning is Grow, Grow, Grow. Three grows grow, grow, grow. I petitioned Eric, he's the one who put the songs together this morning, I petitioned him uh, to sing the old children's song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Uh, you know, I thought that might be fitting with the message, but then I realized that I don't really appreciate that song. I forgot that I, I'd used that song as a bad illustration of misunderstanding years ago. If you remember when we preached through our doctrinal statement, um, that, that song is, is not completely accurate. <laughs> it takes a little more than just uh, reading your Bible and praying every day. You can, you can go through ritual motions like that and still never grow. But the, the topic of the morning and the title of this morning's message is Grow, Grow, Grow. And instead of that song, really, I see this more as a coach. Somebody coming alongside you and, and I think of, you know, maybe somebody like a, a, a sergeant in the army or something running, yelling at the troops, go, 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 right? There's, a, there's an emphasis there. There's an encouragement there. There's, there's even a command there. Grow, grow, grow. This is what you, you need to be doing. And, and we'll look at that here this morning. The big idea of our passage is this, continually growing in our knowledge of and obedience to Christ produces enduring fruit and protects from falling away. Sorry, it's a little bit longer this week. I'll say it again. Continually growing in our knowledge of and obedience to Christ produces enduring fruit and protects from falling away. As you know, we're here in Hebrews chapter number six, verses one through 12 for the the second week in a row uh, last week we looked at the controversy of the passage, uh, some of the the struggles that people have when when interacting with this passage, and and uh, hopefully that was an encouragement to you last week. But this week we're gonna we're gonna take a step back and see why is that not what the author is talking about? The purpose of the passage is not to give us um, a, a a theological position on the security of salvation, though I, I believe it actually does. Um, but that's not the purpose of the passage. The purpose of the passage is a warning. We've seen several warnings so far, and we looked at those last week. So this morning, we want to take a look back, take a step back, instead of zeroing in on just those few verses and, and the controversy that's there, that often we want to take a step back and let's look at this passage now as the author intended, as he was seeking to communicate something and inside the context of this passage, what is the author really trying to say? Last week, we looked at what he was not trying to say. And this week, we'll look at what he is trying to communicate to us here this morning. If you remember two weeks ago, Pastor Eric actually opened up this passage at the end of chapter five, starting in verse 11, really the warning begins there and it begins there with a rebuke. It begins with a rebuke, and that rebuke is, hey, you guys are not as mature as you really should be. You guys are not as mature as, as I expect you to be at this point in your, in your faith. We read there, he says, uh, he's talking about, in the broader context, again, he's talking about um, some, some interesting things, some, some more mature aspects of, of Jesus Christ, how he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he's wanting to go into the details of that, of that reality of that more mature conversation, but he has to, to pause here and he has to, to let them know that there's lots of things he'd like to talk about, but they're immature. They can't, they can't handle it. They need, they need milk instead of meat. And, and it's kind of a rebuke there at the beginning of this warning that they are not where they need to be spiritually. And I hope that as Pastor Eric went through that, that you took the time to examine yourself as well and say, am I where I need to be spiritually? Am I, am I simply happy with knowing the milk of the word of God or am I longing for and striving for the ability to understand and take in, and chew up the, the meat of the word of God. So we have the rebuke, and then we come to chapter six, where we have, after this rebuke, we have this statement, therefore, therefore. And here is going to be the encouragement, not just, not, not just the rebuke for not having grown, but the encouragement to grow. The the calling to grow, the the coach coming along saying, grow, grow, grow. And so we're going to look at three aspects of spiritual growth. We'll see the request for spiritual growth. We'll see the reason for spiritual growth. And then we'll see the result of spiritual growth this morning. We'll start off here with the request for spiritual growth here in verses one through four. He says, therefore... Because of this reality that you you are not where you need to be spiritually, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he says, let's, let's, Move forward. That's the request. Right? He's saying, you, you guys are not where you need to be. So I'm requesting. I want you guys to, to to move forward. Let's let's take another step. Let's let's grow together. Let's let's move forward. Let's go past these basic things. And what are these basic things? The, the basic knowledge, a basic understanding of the gospel. We need to Surely know the gospel if we're going to be believers of Jesus Christ, if we're gonna share the gospel, we absolutely need to know the gospel. But there's more than just the basic fundamental pieces of the gospel. He lays out those those fundamental pieces. He says, let's let's get let's leave the, the elementary doctrine of Christ. So all these things that he's gonna mention here are all part of that doctrine of, of who Christ is. But even that statement, the elementary doctrine of Christ, the basic the basic doctrine of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he has done, what that, how that impacts us. All those, those truths that we, that we know that we can regurgitate, probably at a moment's notice, about Jesus. Let's, let's move on from that. Not that we're, not that we're uh, ignoring it or that we've moved on and, and that we'll never come back to it. But let's, let's go deeper into it. Let's go to a more mature understanding of Christ and what He has done. In that first piece, there is this foundation of repentance and belief—the foundation of repentance, belief. This is this is what the uh, this is the gospel call that the apostles. If you read through the Book of Acts over and over and over again, you'll see this call: repent and believe the gospel. Even Jesus made this call to repent and believe the gospel. So there is this base understanding that we have of, of what we need to believe and what we need to, to turn away from, from ourselves and turn to God and following after God in full assurance of faith, resting in those things that Jesus Christ has already done for us. And so we have this foundation of, of repentance and belief. Then we have this interesting phrase here, instruction about washings. Instruction about washings. This is um, a fun little way of interpreting this. Um, The word there is baptizo, which probably most of you would recognize as baptize. Um, What's interesting as I looked at this, um, the idea of washing has the idea of cleansing. Cleansing right? That's, that's We look at the washings of the Jewish uh, system. It was, it was a purification process. They were to be, they were to wash away their guilt and, their, and the stain of sin and, and obviously dirt and things like that as well. But, um, but this idea of washings, if you look at, back at, at uh, John the Baptist, when he was interacting with the Pharisees, there's a, a point in time where it says that um, the Pharisees were arguing with some of John's followers about the washings. Um, really they're, they're arguing about the purpose of John's baptisms. They're arguing about the efficacy of them. What, why was he doing it? Was, it? was it worth it? Did it mean anything? And so when we look at this word washing, there, there's kind of a couple nuances there. I think it does mean or is talking about baptism, but then there's also the, the concept of the washing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's the washing of our sins away from us, through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's more there maybe than just this concept of being dipped into water and being raised up again. But even that in and of itself is, is an elementary doctrine. It's kind of a, a basic thing. Then he says of the final resurrection. Again, the, the teaching that one day we will all be resurrected with Christ. Those of us who have, who have died when he comes will be raised. And those of us who, who are still alive when He comes will also be raised with Him forever. And then after that, eternal judgment. We know the Scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But yet all of these things really are, are kind of the basics of the gospel. They're the, the basics of Christianity. And, and he's saying, we need, to, we need to move past those things. We need to, to move on from, from a basic understanding of Christianity. We need to move on to something that is more mature. He says there in verse one, he says, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. In what way? In what way must we be more mature? I see three, three different ways here, maturity in content. So he's saying, let's, let's move on to, to more mature content, which is what he's, he's desiring to do as he's teaching them about Jesus as, after the order of Melchizedek. He wants to, to move on to a more mature content of teaching. He also wants to mature their understanding so that it's not just the basic knowledge of Christ, but it's something that is more full, something that is going to to give them a deeper understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. Not just a knowledge of what Christ has done, but something that impacts them. This isn't just the, the author giving them a bunch of details about Christ, but he's going to tie that in to how this reality of Jesus Christ being after the order of Melchizedek, how that affects us. That's the maturity of understanding and then maturity and obedience. Maturity and obedience, as we'll see later on, that there is a call for us to respond a certain way. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But there's an interesting phrase here in verse number three. It says, and this we will do if God permits and this we will do if God permits. What, what will we do? We'll, we'll move on. We'll move on from this basic understanding to one of maturity. And, and this we'll do if God permits. Obviously, there is, uh, this is language that is resting in God's uh, sovereignty and God's plan. There's a, there's a reality here of, of simply trusting God to, to do the work that he has promised to do in sanctification. So there's definitely trust in God's process. But I think there's, there's, as I thought about this, what what would be some reasons why God would not permit somebody to move on in this discussion? Because that's an interesting phrase. If God permits, I don't think it's a, a throwaway phrase. I don't think it's just something that the author threw in there to, you know, give notice to God that, you know, hey, we're trusting in your process. I think that's part of it. But what are some reasons why, some, why God may not allow someone to move beyond the basics? I think one of the reasons is based on what we discussed last week. Some cannot move on and should not move on because they are not saved. Some cannot move on and should not move on because they're not believers in Jesus Christ. They, they really have not even done that first foundational piece of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. They're they're not even there yet. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The author here is saying we need to move on to more mature information, more mature understanding, more mature obedience. We need to to move forward. But some of you can't. And God will not permit you to move forward because you are not His. You do not belong to Him. In the unbeliever, there is no desire to grow. There is no desire to change. There's no a desire to know more about Christ. There's no desire to love him more. There's no desire to obey him more. They're just satisfied with this idea of salvation. Maybe it's just a satisfaction of, of being um, potentially saved from punishment, but there's no real relationship there. And so that is one reason why God may not allow someone to move forward in maturity. They're not even drinking the milk. Number two, some should not move forward because they are not mature enough to handle it. They may not move forward because they're not mature enough to handle it. 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2 says this, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, <clears throat> he does not yet know as he ought to know. There is a reality, especially with immature believers, that knowledge will bring them pride. Knowledge will bring them pride. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope of a fool than for him. Isaiah 5.21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. James gives us this warning in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a warning that if you, if you just seek knowledge so that you can be the one to disseminate that knowledge, Be careful, because those of us who have been given this opportunity and this this weight of teaching, there will be a greater strictness, a greater judgment, that we handle the Word of God well and appropriately. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, this is speaking of the qualifications of an elder. And he says this, he must not be a recent convert, immature, or what? He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. There is a reality that those, there are some who are immature. They may be believers, but they are immature to be able to grasp deeper things because it's just knowledge to them. It's just facts. It's just something to make them feel smarter. So in this, in this, desire to grow must also be a desire of, of humility, uh, an act of humility, understanding that my growth has nothing to do with, with me and my ability to then teach others or with me and my, my ability to understand more things than someone else, but has everything to do with me growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is if you're growing in a mature way in Christ What will really happen is you'll find yourself becoming more humble and more humble and more humble as you see who Christ is and who you are compared to him. You know, it's interesting, we see this a lot um, in different areas of theology. In fact, if you remember going through our book, um, the last book we had, Respectable Sins, and we and we talked about pride. There was actually a phrase in there or a section in there on doctrinal pride right? It's very easy for us to, uh, when we learn something new or when we see something uh, that maybe we haven't seen before, to to become puffed up because we have have some special knowledge. Well, no, we're just understanding what God has already said. And so we need to approach that with humility. It's amazing how the pride and the way that we hold on to certain things oftentimes in in relationship to scripture can cause problems and and disruption to the church. I've seen churches who have been torn apart by by things that scripture really isn't even clear on. Things like end-time prophecy. There's plethora of, of ideas of how all these different prophecies and things fit together to 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 help us understand what's going to happen and and some hold certain views much more tightly than others do and and will separate from others over these views on things that scripture just simply is not clear enough about and that's just pride that's just doctrinal pride The third reason why God may choose not to allow someone to move on is simply because he is the source of knowledge and truth, and he chooses what to reveal and when. It's not so much about us digging in and finding all the jewels. It's about us submitting to what the Holy Spirit is teaching us from his word. John 16, 13, Jesus said, I will send the spirit. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals the word of God to us. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 13. I'll try to read through this quickly. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Notice what he says there. Among the whom? And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit determines what He will teach and when He will teach it to us through the Word of God. Have you ever had this thought, I wish that I had known this earlier in my life? Maybe it's a a doctrine that you've learned, or maybe it's just some, some truth, some principle of scripture that, that God has revealed to you maybe in the last year or two. And you say, man, I wish that I had known. Why, why didn't I know this when I was younger? Why, why didn't I hear this teaching when I was younger? Whose fault is that? It's not anybody's fault. It's God's providence. God is the one who has allowed you to learn these things at this time, who has allowed you to grow in this way. Our sanctification process is his work. It's his work of teaching us who he is and who Christ is and who we are and what Christ has done and how we should live. We participate through obedience. So that is the request for spiritual growth. Secondly, the reason for spiritual growth the reason for spiritual growth, and this is what we spent the bulk of our time looking at last week. We won't spend a lot of time here this week. But what we're seeing here is that there's, this falling away is really a result of those who are not willing to put in the effort to grow those who are not pursuing growing, those who are not seeking to understand Jesus Christ and salvation and the the Christian life in a deeper way, to understand the deeper things of God. What's the warning here? The warning is not that you'll lose your salvation. The warning is, hey, if you are not growing, you need to check yourself and see if you're even in Christ. Because if you're not growing, if you have no desire to grow, there's a warning here. And that warning is that you may fall away from the truth. You may fall away from the truth if you are not a believer this morning. If you you may have had all the experiences that we talked about last week you may have enjoyed all the different things that, that we that we enjoy here in the body of Christ on a Sunday morning or on, or on a men's Bible study, a ladies' Bible study, or one at a one-a-time, or all those different things. You may have enjoyed participating in those things and even, even benefited in some way. I was talking with a friend of mine this week who is not a believer. And yet he finds benefit in different religious things. He's not saved. He has no hope, but he could very easily assume that he's good. Because yeah, he, he's, he's tasted some of these things. He's, he's found value in some of these things. The warning is that if you are not growing in Christ, you need to see why. Why are you not growing in Christ? Lack, lack of growth Christ, in Christ, excuse me. Lack of growth in knowledge of and obedience to Christ makes you susceptible to falling away. Remember, last week we said that false converts exist and they are led away from the faith by false teaching. It's interesting, back at the end of chapter 5, when he's talking about solid food, he says this but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the mature person is somebody who has, who has discernment, who has discernment that has been trained to see truth and lies, to see good and evil. That's the context again that we're talking about. And and what does he say here? Those who fall away, we know, based on the passages we looked at last week, we know that they fall away largely due to the fact that they begin to follow after false teaching. How do we protect from that? Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12 says this, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. How do we protect from false teaching? We have to know the word. We have to have spent time in the word. We have to dig into the word. We have to examine what we're taught against the word. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? That you may be, that, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we discern that? By having our minds renewed by the word of God. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. In our passage in Hebrews we see this warning that if you fall away from these basic truths of Christ, it's impossible for you to come back. It's impossible for you to be, to be repentant. Because what is repentance? Repentance is turning away from my things, my desires, my goals, my wants, my direction. And turning to Christ and saying, I want to follow you. When Jesus gave us the great commission, he didn't say, go out and tell people that there's good news. He said, go out and make disciples. That's more than just somebody saying, yeah, I'll I'll buy into that. That's somebody who's turning from their own way and going after and following after this new master. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who leaves what they had before and follows after someone else. Follows after their teaching, does what they they say, follows after them physically oftentimes. When we look at the disciples in the New Testament, that's discipleship. It's not just, yeah, I'll pray a prayer. Sure, I'll, I'll believe that Jesus says who he said he was and that'll keep me out of hell. That's not discipleship. Discipleship requires true repentance, true turning away. And that's why it's impossible to bring them back to repentance because they have seen the basics of the gospel and they have turned away from it. They have taken Jesus Christ and they have lifted him up and they have mocked him and in essence crucified him again to their own shame. And outside the working of an omnipotent God, they cannot be brought back because it takes an omnipotent God to change the heart and the mind and the desires. Of a sinful man, we have this warning here of the land that does not produce fruit, because lack of growth and knowledge and of knowledge of and obedience to Christ not only um, not only puts you in danger of falling away, but it also keeps you from producing good fruit. It keeps you from producing fruit that Jesus said was, was fruit of repentance. Evidence of repentance. Evidence of having turned away from following myself to following Christ. If I'm not growing in my relationship with Christ, then there is not going to be any fruit. It's been said that there's no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. You're either go, growing or you're backsliding. You're either moving forward in your relationship with Christ, deepening your relationship with Christ, or you're falling away. You're drifting away, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 2. That's the reason for spiritual growth. Finally, the result of spiritual growth. The result of spiritual growth here in verses 9 through 12 who through faith and patience inherit the promise. The first thing we see here is, is that there are some basic evidences of salvation. Remember, that's one of the contrasts that we pointed out last week between the, the evidence of the life of those who are unbelievers, who turn away, who fall away, versus the ones who he's talking to. We, he said, we, we see that there is evidence of true salvation, there is fruit of true salvation. What, what are those things? He says uh, that God is not going to overlook. These are things that even God is aware of. He's not unjust so as to overlook your work. Your work, Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a reality that God has created for us good works to walk in. And he says, we, we see an evidence of salvation and that we see that there are good works. There is some fruit. This is kind of a, a basic uh, uh, evidence of salvation. There, there are some works. He says, not just work, but he says, love for his name and the saints. There's a love for, for God and for his people. First John four, 19 through 21 says, because we love, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so he says, we see fruit of this. We see that you have a love for his name, but you also have a love for the saints. How how do we see that love? Because you have service to the saints. There's there's a reality that you love God and you love his people and you're, you're working, doing these good works in service to him and in service to the saints. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says this, let love be genuine basic fruits of salvation. And he says, we see that. We see these basic evidences of salvation, but he says, but, but we desire mature evidence. We desire mature evidence. He specifically says, we desire, right? Right there in verse um, 11, he says, and we desire, there's something more. These are good things. These are, these are evidences of salvation for your sake, but, but we desire more. And what is that? earnestness, enduring earnestness, or determination. The things that you're doing now, we we desire to see you determined to continue doing them, to determined to to endure in in acting in this way towards the body of Christ. I see these last three points paralleling in many ways, 1 Peter chapter 1, so I want to read much of that here as we close. But we see this enduring earnestness or determination in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. that truth. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Can I ask you a question? Do you have the same or greater earnestness for Christ as you did when you first believed? Is there a determination and a desire to follow Christ, to know Christ, that is greater today than it was when you first believed. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we desire a more mature evidence of salvation. That is growth. That is determination, earnestness that endures. Not just endures, but grows. Do you have the same response that Peter is talking about? to the reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. We have this determination, but we also have this enduring assurance of hope. This assurance of hope, let's go back and see what he says. We desire each one of you that you show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope when? Until the end. Have this this desire, this earnestness to, to the end and to have this full assurance of hope until the end. That is maturity. That is mature evidence of salvation. First Peter 1 goes on in verse 13 and says, therefore, because of this great hope that we have, Preparing your minds for action and be so, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is your hope enduring this morning? Have you begun to look at the world and see everything that is going on wrong with the world and the, and the struggles of the world and the, the interaction with the world? And have you begun to lose your hope? Have you, like Peter, walking on the waters, seen the, the waves and the wind and stopped focusing on Jesus and began to focus on his situation? Or are you a mature believer who has his hope or her hope fixed on what will be revealed when Jesus comes. Is that where your full assurance of hope is? Or is maybe only part of your assurance in that? And maybe part of your assurance is in all the good things that you've done so far as a believer. You know, even, even if we have true faith, it is easy sometimes for us to fall into this trap Of of thinking that our good works have somehow accomplished something, some extra grace with God, some extra favor with God. No, those are just simply evidence that God is working in us and through us. Is your hope in any way, in anything else, other than fully assured in Jesus Christ? Lastly, there's enduring faithfulness. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. Eric pointed this out two weeks ago. and he, he mentioned that he's, the, the writer starts the passage, the warning with this statement, they were dull of hearing. And then here at the end, he says, we don't want you to be dull of hearing anymore. We want you to, to not be sluggish in your Christian life. We want you to, to be active. We want you to be, to be moving forward. Forward not to be sluggish, but, but what? But to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And guess what? He's going to tell us about them in chapter 11. He's going he's to point us to those people who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Even though they may not have inherited, inherited them here on earth. They inherit them in glory. Through faith and patience. That is enduring faithfulness. That is the call of the passage this morning. That is the result of spiritual growth. First Peter chapter one verses four through nineteen. As obedient children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as gold or silver but with peri- with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot are you faithful to serve Christ are you obedient are you continuing to grow in your obedience to Christ in your faithfulness to Christ that is the result of mature spiritual faith. The question this morning is, are you growing? As you examine your life, are you growing in your knowledge of and obedience to Jesus Christ this morning? Or have you begun to, to let that wane? Have you begun to, have you thought maybe you, you reached enough knowledge, you reached enough understanding, you, you, you've, you're good enough? You're satisfied with with where you're at. Maybe you're just simply going through the motions because it really doesn't mean anything to you. You don't really have faith in Jesus Christ. Are you looking at salvation simply as fire insurance for your soul? Or are you looking at it as a savior who loved you enough to shed his blood? and give his life to redeem you so that you could come back into fellowship with a holy and righteous and perfect God? And are you pursuing knowing him more and more and more? Are you growing this morning? If not, I hope you will take this challenge from the book of Hebrews not just a controversial passage, but a, but a passage calling us to something, calling us to move forward, calling us to go deeper, calling us to know Christ and obey Christ so that we become like Christ. Father, we thank you that you have not left us here to figure out this Christian life on our own, that you have not left us here with no Help with no encouragement, with no instruction, but you have given us your word. You have given us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us if we have truly believed in you, if we have truly repented. And, and He not only guarantees us of our future hope, but He shows us, He enlightens us as to how you would have us live through your perfect and holy word. Lord, I pray that we would not be uh, hearers who. who look at our face in a mirror and go on without changing anything. But I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts, that you would reveal areas that we are not willing to grow, areas where we, we have not grown in our understanding of and our obedience to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would break down the strongholds of our, of our rebellion, break down our, our own desires and that you would cause us to see Christ afresh and anew so that we would be like Him. We know that this is a work that only the Spirit can do. And we pray that He would do that work in each of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.